Turn with me then to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, a very familiar portion of Scripture today. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36 will, will be our lesson today. The transfiguration of Christ, though Luke here does not use that word transfigure, Matthew and Mark, however, do. And it's the same event recorded in all three Gospels. Beginning in verse 28, now about eight days after these sayings, he, Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silence and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Christ transfigured before Peter and James and John. They see Christ in a very brief moment, in, in a light that he likely will be seen in all of eternity when we get to heaven. But this view, this sighting, is this way that they saw him was just just a glimpse. That would be the title of our message today is Catching a Glimpse of Christ. Catching a Glimpse of Christ. This event that we've just read here in Luke is also, as we've said, recorded in Matthew and Mark. This is an important point in time in the disciples' following of Christ. Things are coming now down toward their conclusion of the life of Christ. And he is preparing them, as we have talked about in the past, and you no doubt have read about and studied this, these last few months of the life of Christ on earth. And he's trying to prepare them for this day that was coming their way. He'd already begun to do so. And no doubt, after the Lord's resurrection and return to heaven, as these same men and others watched him go into heaven. They, no doubt, after that, throughout the rest of their lives, for Peter, James, and John, I doubt this glimpse of Christ ever fully left their mind's eye on this day. This, just a glimpse of Christ. This glimpse of the Lord's glory, it changed them, I think, 
I think it changed them from this day until their last here on earth. And I think even now in the glories of heaven, Peter, James, and John, I bet they remember seeing Christ transfigured before them so that they could see at least in a glimpse the glory of Christ. It changed them. In fact, it's Jesus instructed them not to say anything to anyone else. And we won't take any time to dive into why that is. But I think there was also something of such a reverence and an awe to this moment that that they almost felt perhaps like it would have been to cheapen the moment to speak about it overly much and to to make certainly to never make light of it or to to mention it in some kind of a casual way. Just a glimpse of Christ changed them. And I say that is also true for you and me. Just catching a glimpse of Christ. To truly see him, at least even for just a moment. It'll change you. It'll change you from that moment until your last. It'll change you if you will allow it to become better. To become more enlightened to the truth. More understanding and aware of what this life is and what it ought to be about. So just catching a glimpse of Christ is my prayer, not just a glimpse, certainly, but to then continue to look. But today we want to speak about what Peter, James, and John saw when they saw just this glimpse, Christ. They are seen here with Moses and Elijah. And there have been a great many um, debates and there's a lot of writing and there's many things that people will say about why Moses and Elijah were here. But this glimpse of Christ, he's he's also attended by Moses and Elijah and they're conversing with one another. And I, I want you in your own mind's eye to, to, to imagine what that must have appeared like to Peter, James and John to see. Jesus transfigured and, and his clothing is as bright as lightning and, and his face changed and, and they see him at least in part in the glorification that he that he is as the son of God and he's standing there with Moses and, and Elijah and, and they catch this glimpse of Christ and they see with him these two and and I think that the, the best explanation for Moses and Elijah being present is just what they represent and Moses representative of the law of God. That's who received the law. Do you remember? Mount Zion, as God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, and then gave him all of the ceremonial law and the civil law and all of the law of the Old Testament. And he gave Moses the law. And to a Jewish mind, the law was principle. It was the most important thing in many ways. To observe the law was the pinnacle of the religious experience of a Pharisee at that time, and, and perhaps even yet today. And, and I think sometimes you and I, or, or Christians, quote-unquote, people who try to be religious, sometimes our lives and our following of God can become about those things that attend the service of God. The law, we might say, attending church and reading our Bibles and doing good things and being uh, kind to people and, and helping the poor. and being with those who have a need. And, and these are good things. And, and the law, of course, was a good thing. But, but 
That's who Moses represents. And that's that's really not who we should be seeing in this picture. Not not certainly primarily. But he represents the law. And as the law, he he reminds us as we see Moses here with Christ. Does it not remind us that God is holy? That's what the law told us, tells us, bears witness to us about is that God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. There is no sin, no mar, no weakness, no, no evil, no wickedness, no weakness in him at all. And, and Moses, as the representative of that one who God gave the law, standing here with Christ, it, it reminds us to see Christ. It, it is, it is also to see something of the law. If you don't see the law when you see Christ, you, you don't you don't fully see Christ. Now Christ is going to swallow that up. He should. We're going to see and already have read at the end. It's just Jesus standing there. And it isn't as though the law is now absent, but it is that Jesus has now fulfilled it. And 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 the the law representative with Moses reminds us of of that reality that that God is holy and He is just. And 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 we know, I think, inherently even that we are not. That we are sinful creatures. That we are not like God in that way. That we have chosen to, to sin and to rebel and to push God away. And, and I think this message, like so many, that it's applicable to those who are lost and don't know God. Maybe they know a lot about the law. Maybe they could tell you a lot about Moses. They could tell you what he did in Egypt. They could tell you what he did when he when he killed the Egyptian and fled into the wilderness and became a son-in-law to Jethro and was a shepherd. They can tell you about the burning bush. They can tell you about the Ten Commandments. They may even be able to list them all for you in order and quote them directly from whatever version of the Bible that they read from, but they don't know Christ. They can see Moses. They can see the law. And it, and it tells us that God is holy and righteous and just. And, and somehow some people then think, well, then I must be righteous and I must be holy. And that is true. But what you miss, if all you see is Moses, is you, you only see the law, which is true and, and right. But it is not enough. Doing all the good in the world is never going to be enough. You need to catch a glimpse of Christ. And so this message, as I began to say, it's applicable to those who don't know the Lord. But I think it's also applicable to, to those of us who do. Paul wrote to the Galatians and, and told them and wrote to them and spoke to them about this very issue. He said, having begun in Christ, have you are you now going to continue in the flesh, in the law? Are you somehow going to make, to live your Christian life now fully invested or engaged in seeing Moses and the law and the right things that we are to do, but missing Christ and not even catching a glimpse of him in your daily walk. Well, you you and I, if we're in that place, we, we need to catch a glimpse again of Christ. It'll change everything. When, when your life grows weary or when service to the Lord grows difficult, a glimpse of Christ is the remedy to see him and his, his sacrifice on the cross and his life and the fact that he is right now standing at the right hand of God, 
making intercession for us, though we don't deserve it, though we don't merit it, though there's nothing about us that could ever merit such a thing, Christ is there making intercession for us, and it is our only hope, and a glimpse of him will restore our strength, our energy, our vitality, and our desire to follow him. But if all we see is Moses, it'll become drudgery and dreariness and an impossibility. Saul with him on this day, Moses, and, and saw as well Elijah. And you have likely done your own reading in this. Elijah most frequently is associated with the prophets. You have Moses representative of the law, and you have Elijah representative of the prophets, perhaps the greatest outside, of course, of Christ himself. This prophet, Elijah, who, like his other fellow prophets, prophesied of the judgment that upon sin. So you have Moses standing there, and, and in him there's a, a, a recollection and a reminder, oh, that's the one who was given the law, the commandments from God. This is the man, Moses, who was given the, the law that we are to follow as a nation of Israel. If we are to be righteous in the sight of God, it is this law that we must abide by and follow. And then come the prophets. And what did the prophets say? The prophets came along and they said, oh, by the way, you can't fulfill the law. You're not able. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the prophets, they said again and again, consistently and without any uh, um, equivocation, man is sinful, he is lost, he cannot attain to the righteousness of God in the law. We can't. It's not possible. So if in your life you are seeing your behavior, your action, your, your works as the principal thing, and that, that, that you don't see, maybe you see Moses, you need now to listen to the prophets. You need to see Elijah at least quickly at there with Christ, and you need to remember what the prophets said. And, and they said, all, all are gone astray, Isaiah said. All of us are undone. The prophets prophesied of the judgment upon the sin because of the breaking of the law that Moses was there representing. But not only that, with Elijah, it should be in our minds as our eye glances past him very quickly. But in that momentary passing, as it as our eyes hopefully settle upon Christ, and we'll speak to that in a moment. But as it as it, as they noticed, and Peter did, and James and John, they noticed. Well, that's Elijah, and that's Moses, and 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 as we look at that today, let's let's remember that God is holy, and He is righteous, and He is just, and 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 that in Moses we see Him as the righteous God that he is. But then let's look to, to Elijah very briefly, and we see that the prophets prophesied of the judgment against the sin because the law's been broken. But not only that, they prophesied of there was one that was going to come and make it all right and just again. There was going to be one, a Messiah, who would come through the tribe of Judah and, and would come and reign and, and forever put Satan and his his all those who follow him under his feet, Elijah prophesied, as did the other prophets of the hope that is found in the Messiah who was coming. And as they saw these prophets, or they saw, excuse me, Elijah, and they saw Moses, 
they heard enough of the conversation to know what they were talking about. As it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his, his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which, was, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses, Elijah, and Christ standing together on this mountain, Christ transfigured before them as bright and as holy as, as we can even begin to, to fathom and comprehend and even physically manifest in his, in his glorification. And they're standing there talking and they are talking about the Lord's departure that he would soon accomplish in Jerusalem. Talking about Christ. A glimpse of Christ talks about Christ and what he did. They're not talking about the law. Not directly. They're not talking about Moses. They're not talking about what he did. They're not talking about what, what great things he accomplished. They're not, they're not talking about the day that, that Moses held the, the staff above, uh, up. And, and as long as he did that, the, the Israelites had a, were winning the victory. And when he didn't, they were losing. He wasn't talking about the many miracles that were performed in front of Pharaoh and in the land of Egypt. They weren't talking about any of that. They weren't talking about the law per se. They were talking about Christ and what he was going to do. They weren't talking about Elijah. They weren't the topic of conversation. The topic of conversation was Christ and what he was going to accomplish. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 21, we read, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And that is exactly what is happening here in this passage of Scripture. Elijah and Moses are speaking with Christ, and the law and the prophets are coming right back to the very center and the heart of the message that God wants the world to know and to understand, and that is Christ has come. You needed him, he has now come. He is the subject. He is the point of all that we do. And if he is not, then our motivations are off, and our intentions are not where they ought to be. I was just struck again by reading this and seeing how that they were standing there together in this topic of conversation of what he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And by the way, the very subject about which the, the disciples and the apostles themselves were still stumbling, still not seeing and understanding, all the way to the grave, to the empty tomb of Christ, Peter and John and the others were confused and confounded about what was happening, what Jesus actually did. And yet here they were. <clears throat> On the mountainside, on the mountaintop anyway, with Elijah and Moses and Christ. And the topic of conversation among those three is what Jesus was getting ready to do. His departure. His leaving the world. His accomplishing his task. And returning to heaven. This glimpse of Christ will remind us, if we get a glimpse of Christ, it'll bring our attention back to what he has done. It, it will it will just remove it will take care of of so many of the distractions 
in our life. There are a lot of things that, that catch our eye in this world. There are a lot of things that catch our attention. That, that seem to be worth our time. Even good things. But I will tell you this, that if it were just Moses and Elijah standing on that mountaintop, it would not have been the blessed place that it was. There may be a lot of good things that you do in your life. There may be a lot of good things that we try to apply ourselves to. But if the subject of our life, if the point of our life is not Christ, then that is where we are going wrong. And that is what Peter did here. In verse 32 and 33, as Peter is, is helpful to us to do, to point out how our own thoughts can go awry, even in such a moment like this. Our thoughts can be wrong and confused as Peter's were. He's standing there with Elijah and Moses and the very glorified Son of God, and he comes away with the wrong path forward, with the wrong plan. He says, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep in verse 32, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. So they see him, his glorified uh, uh, rep, uh, image and, and the two men who were stood with him. And as the men were parting, so Elijah and Moses were, were getting ready to walk away or were parting from them at that time. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, somehow he recognized them. We're not told how, but he recognized these two as Moses and Elijah, Jesus doesn't correct him, and neither does God the Father when his voice comes. But they understood that who it was, and he suggests his plan is, let's build a tent for all three. Let's honor all three. And that's where he begins to go wrong with his thoughts. That's where he begins to, to, to sidestep where he should be stepping straight forward. And, and this is, I think, where you and I sometimes can go wrong too, and kind of take a sidestep rather than a step forward. Why is this wrong? Lots of different opinions. I, I think there's one primarily shared opinion that, that I too share that I will share with you now, but lots of different ideas as to what was wrong with this, because clearly it seems something was wrong with Peter's plan by the way that the father responded and the fact that Elijah and Moses are then taken off the scene. What What is wrong with his plan? I don't think it's any more complicated than this it betrays in peter this idea that he is going to equate christ and moses and elijah together of the same value let's build three tents let's honor all three hebrews chapter three i want to read this because it sheds light i think on this point hebrews chapter three verses three through six the Hebrew writer tells us, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So he comes right out and says it. And this is where Peter is kind of taking a, a sidestep, as I said. He's he's moved to the left or the, to the right, or he may be even drawn back, we might say. But he's he's not moving forward toward Christ and Christ alone in this, in this glimpse that he has of Christ. The Hebrew writer goes on, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and we can, of course, say than Elijah as well. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. 
he sidesteps and takes a step back, I guess we could say Moses does, because he is he is making Christ and Moses and Elijah equal. And that is always a mistake. But it is a common mistake. It's a common mistake if we think about it in our own life. There are many good things. And listen, Moses. Moses was a man God used to do great and mighty things. His name had become revered among the Israelites in this day that we just read about. The Jews exalted and honored Moses like no other, put him on a pedestal, and God did incredible things with him. God worked miracle after miracle through this man, Moses. He, he worked a miracle even in the beginning of his life when he's saved by the command of the Pharaoh to, that all Hebrew children, boys born, should be killed. He's hidden in the bulrushes and, and the river and the Pharaoh's daughter. And we know all the story of this miraculous way in which God used Moses to deliver his people. And again, why did God do all of that except to show the world who he was? So Moses did many good things. He did some bad things too. He fall, he failed and he, he fell short. But in the mind of a Pharisee at this time, Moses was as high on the rung of the ladder as you could get. And that was wrong thinking. As great as Moses was, he did not deserve a pedestal. He did not deserve a tent alongside Christ. He did not deserve any worship or praise, no matter how great in the eyes of men he might have been. And this is where you and I sometimes can, can make mistakes of our own. We catch a glimpse of Christ, but, but somehow we allow ourselves to then equate something else with him that's of equal value. And I, and I was going to say this in a minute. I hope I don't lose my track of thought here, but it's, I also thought about this. It's not like Peter said, we're not going to build Jesus you a tent. We're going to build you one too. It's not like he forgot Jesus. It's not like he left Jesus out of the equation at all. It said, oh my goodness, look, it's Elijah and Moses. Let's build them a tent. No, he said, let's build all three of you a tent. And I think sometimes in our own life, though, that's where we begin to make a mistake. We begin to equate things as equal with with Christ and with God. We catch a glimpse of Christ. And when we catch a glimpse of Christ, of course, we need to see Moses and Elijah there. But we need to see that they simply are speaking with Christ and they're talking about him. And I'll tell you this, anybody worth anything of value, anybody in your life that is worth listening to, you want to know who they're going to be talking about? They're going to be talking about Christ. They're going to be pointing you to him. Always and ever to him. That's what Moses and Elijah themselves did. But they were making this very, Peter was, and, and, and perhaps it was in the minds of the others. We don't know, but it was at least in Peter's mind making this, this mistake that's so easy to make as we make them in our own life. We equate things. We equate all kinds of things of equal value to Christ when we don't really think about it. And isn't that exactly what Luke writes here? Peter said this not knowing what he said. Sometimes we make this mistake and then we come to ourselves and we say, wow, that, that was wrong. As great as, as Elijah was, 
as great as he was, as many things as, as he did, and the great works that he did, he's not worthy of a tent. Time for self-examination. Who or what are you building a tent for in your life? Beyond Christ. You catch a glimpse of Christ. But maybe there's this common pull to exalt other things too. It's not that you don't want to build a tent for Christ. You do. You love him even. And and you want to honor him. But, but you want to love and honor something else equally. And this is where the call of the gospel gets real serious. This is where, who knows, uncounted, untold numbers of people have failed to come to Christ is they want to build multiple tents instead of just one for Christ. Even good things, Moses and Elijah. Moses is good. Why isn't it okay that I would build a tent, that Peter wanted to build a tent for him? Because at the end, Moses is simply representative of a law that we've broken. And if it's just him, we're left with a broken law. That's all we are. Why is it so bad that we, we look at Elijah and want to build him a tent? Because if it's just Elijah, we have a promise without, without a fulfillment. Catching a glimpse of Christ in light of those two and he fills it all is the is the is the glimpse that I pray we make and we have in our life that God would make it such that we would see him. Who or what? Are you trying to build a tent for alongside Christ? In verses 34 and 35, as he was saying these things, as Peter was saying his plan, a cloud came, a cloud, singular, came and overshadowed them. And there's lots of discussion as to who this them is. Was it the apostles or was it Peter, James and John or was it Jesus, Moses and Elijah? Was it all six of them? I, I can't straighten it out. I don't know. But what's clear is that a cloud came and, and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. It seems to me that it's Peter, James, and John, most likely. But as they entered that cloud, as, and, and God's presence here is what's happened, right? The presence of God himself, as, as often happened in the Old Testament, came. And, and they were afraid. Why? It was Moses and Elijah and glorified Christ. Why would they be afraid? What would cause them to be fearful? Well, I think right away, I think right away there might have been some recognition that Peter had again misstepped. Peter had again spoken before he thought. Peter had again spoken what maybe others were thinking but didn't have the guts to say. And there was an, a sense, I think, in them inwardly. And as the presence of God came in this cloud, as, as it settled over them, I think there was clearly, it says very plainly that there was fear in their heart. 
And I think that's what happens. And I think it's only natural that fear would set up in their heart when God comes and and there is in the Father a displeasure. When God is displeased, it's only appropriate that we be afraid. When God is displeased, it's an appropriate response to have some fear, some, some hesitation, some doubt, some widening of the eyes and raising of the eyebrows and, and wondering where, where we've gone wrong and where we've sidestepped when we should have stepped forward. What, what if, what have we done? There's an inward awareness that the presence of God brings and and maybe there's something in your life and maybe there's things in mine as well where where we're trying to build multiple tents instead of once we see a glimpse of Christ, we've got one tent to build, one place to go, one work to do, and that is glorify Him. But maybe somehow we're trying to build or want to build something else in our life, uh, an equal kind of tent. And when God's presence comes, there's there's something of a, of a conviction, I think, that sets up in our heart, and and there's there's a bit of fear. I think it's only appropriate, and I think, by the way, it's also inevitable. When God is displeased, fear is inevitable. When God is displeased, fear is inevitable. And he wasn't fully pleased. With Peter's plan. And I think for the reasons we've been discussing. And so he brings to them correction as God's presence does. Look, if you feel a fear in your heart, maybe even right now, a, a conviction of sin, fear and and brokenness and and a a right reverence for what it means to be outside of the pleasure of God, that that is appropriate, it is inevitable, but it is not the end. It's not intended to be. The end is what God now does. He corrects. He shows Peter where he has gone wrong. And he'll show you and I when and where we go wrong too in our life. If we'll reach out to him and ask him. Peter, I think we're we're really hard on, on him. Peter, I, I, and, and granted, he kind of merits it at times, but we're really hard on him, and we think, how can you be thinking such a thing? But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves in the same place he was at times, and and, and there's a bit of a displeasure in, in the voice of God when, when he says to them in verse 35, a voice came out of the cloud. We, we understand that to be the Father's voice. This is my son. My capital chosen, capital C, capital O, one. My chosen one, listen to him. A glimpse of Christ should end in listening to him. It should arrest our attention. It's like any time, and I wish I were better with analogies. And metaphors or examples. I, it's like anytime you're just casting your eye over a landscape and, and something grabs your attention and, it, and it's as though everything else just kind of melts away and all you see is what's caught your eye. 
as you go through your life, there's going to be times when God is going to bless you with a glimpse of Christ. I pray it's daily. But maybe, maybe there's times you're distant from him. But God in his mercy and his grace is going to provide a, a way, someone to say something to you, some event in your life, something. And you're going to catch a glimpse of Christ. And, and there's going to be a temptation there when you catch that glimpse of Christ to, to exalt other things equal with him. Maybe the thing that brought you uh, to the attention of, of Christ. Well, God straightens all that out. And he simply says, see Christ, see my son, hear my son, listen to my son. Yeah, Moses and Elijah are there. But they're there only in discussing what Christ has or is preparing to do, what he will do. They're just, they're just pointing like they always did to Christ. And so God the Father corrects their misunderstanding. And a glimpse of Christ then should overshadow everything else in our lives. It should just overshadow it. We've already read. It's God's will that Christ have more glory, be given greater glory than Moses. In other New Testament writing that we've been studying of the writings of Paul, it's God's will that Christ's name would be over all others, all authorities and all powers. Jesus is greater than whoever or whatever you might consider. And so when I asked you earlier about what are the other tents that you're trying to build, I, I, I do want you to wrestle with that question. I know I am. What are those tents? What am I building uh, that, that isn't necessary because it's, it's not building for Christ? I, I caught a glimpse of him and I, I see him on, and I see him for, for what he is and who he is. He's the son of God. Well, when I see that and I understand that, yes, I'll notice Moses, but you know what I'll immediately think of when I see Moses? Christ satisfied the law that God gave to Moses. And I'll see Elijah and I'll go, wow, that, isn't that the one who prayed and it didn't rain for six months? And then he prayed again and it did. And didn't any of the guy that rained fire down from heaven and killed all those prophets? I mean, this is Elijah. But you know, when I see and I catch a glimpse of Christ, I go, oh yeah, there's Elijah. He's talking about Christ. And that's, that's when you know you're thinking rightly about all that you do. Does it, does it move your eye to Christ? Does, is it his word that you hear? Does, does Christ swallow up absolutely everything else in your life? I will tell you this, and I, I think you know it, but Jesus is greater than whoever or whatever else you're building a tent for in your life. He's great. Who's better, whoever or whatever. That is, uh, it's exclusive. I, and I mean it exactly the way it, I said it. Whatever and whoever you're building a tent for in your life, it's not as great as Christ. And it doesn't deserve your effort if you're failing to build the tent for him once you've caught a glimpse of him. You see, Christ will share none of his glory. None. None. And this is where the world will cast their stones. But listen, 
Preachers have said this for thousands of years. And this is where many balk today. Christ is everything. Or he's nothing. To you. He won't share the glory. He will not share the, the honor. He will not have a tent that you want to build to other things in your life. No shared glory or honor. Christ and Christ alone is what we're left with in verse 36. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. When God corrects, we've caught a glimpse of Christ and his glory. And then maybe we take a, a misstep, as we've said, like Peter, and we we begin to think other things in our life are worthy of our effort and our honor and, and our and our praise and worship too. And and God the Father comes and he corrects it. And and when he does, and then you open your spiritual eyes after having them closed for whatever reason or blinded by something in the world or your own thoughts, and then spiritually God corrects your heart after there's a conviction of that of, of sin over whatever it is that you've been building something else for. And and God corrects that in your mind and in your heart. And then you open your spiritual eyes and the only thing that's there is Christ. Just Christ. Moses and Elijah are gone. They're no longer in the picture. They're, they're in the picture in that they're in Christ. They're there, but, but they're in Christ. So those things that you maybe have, have thought about Maybe I am building these other tents in my life for, for these other things. Maybe those things are good things. I, I'm not tearing, telling you or encouraging you to tear down things in your life that are, that are good things. Reading the scripture, coming to church, being good to people. These are, these are good things. Don't, don't get rid of them, but understand that they're to be encompassed in the single tent where Christ dwells. All that you do is, is to, is to catch a glimpse of Christ. And so that others around you would see not your good deeds, not your goodness, not your, uh, things that you do, but they'd see the tent for Christ that you're making in your life. And then by extension and by the ultimate point, seeing him. You see, swallowing up all of the other things that you're looking for. Look, if Jesus walked in right now, this is a simple analogy, I know. But if Jesus, the Son of God, in manifest person, walked in that door and sat down in one of these chairs, do you think there would be a single one of our eyes on anything other than him? The Son of God glorified? The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who died for our sins, the one who pro pro uh, provides and protects and watches over us and, and is preparing right now a place for us. And he came and he sat down here. You, you think our eyes would be anywhere else but on, upon him? Of course not. And then I have to ask myself the question, though. Why am I looking at anything else right now? What has caught my eye in this world rather than Christ? We'll close 
as we've said, many things do catch our eye in the world. I, I know that. Good things, bad things, horrific things, entertaining things. But I pray that you catch a glimpse of Christ. And I pray that if there's multiple tents you're trying to build in your life, that you'd let go of the others and begin alone to put your hand to, the, to building the tent that is to be the dwelling place of Christ in your life. That he is the one that you caught a glimpse of. And that glimpse alone changed you. And I will tell you this, that if we caught a glimpse of him now, it would. Others have said, and I think it's true, if we caught a glimpse of hell for two seconds, there's not a day that would not be changed the rest of our days. If we caught a glimpse of what Christ actually took upon himself on the cross, it would change us just like it did if he saved us. This is not a casual glance. It's just a glimpse, but it's not casual. I pray that you catch a glimpse of Christ that you have. And I pray that that glimpse changes your life. And causes you to put down the tools to building any other tent, but, but the one that he would have you to build. I want to close with just a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 25 through 27. This one that we catch a glimpse of has revealed himself to us or we never would have caught a glimpse of him. I mean, Peter, James, and John were asleep when this happened. But they woke up and Christ reveals to them in some manifest way, his glory. Christ has caused it and made it so that we can catch a glimpse of him. I pray that you catch a glimpse of him. And I want you to hear the words of scripture that warn us if we don't. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And earlier, the Hebrew writer was speaking, of course, of God and speaking to us in Christ. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Please don't take your eyes off of the glimpse of Christ. If, if he's caught your attention today, this morning, heed the words of the writer of Hebrews. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This voice that has shaken the earth and continues to shake it. One day it's going to shake heaven and earth. And if God is speaking and if you caught a glimpse of Christ, Go toward him. Forget all others. Look to Christ. Yes, there is Moses there. Yes, there is a law. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. And that tells you you can't be in his presence because you're a lost 
sinner. But then you also, your eye goes over Elijah, the prophet, and you go, wait, but the prophets prophesied of one who would come and satisfy the law on our behalf. And, and then those two, the law and the prophet Moses and, and Elijah, they're not only looking at Christ, but they're speaking with him of the very thing that they have spent their lives trying to show others. So look to Christ now. When you feel the brokenness of sin because of the law that you've broken, and then you see the prophets and you understand that they have testified and bore witness to one who would come, you see that that is Jesus. The Son of God who bled and died on the cross. Now I beg you, look to him. If you've caught a glimpse of him today, continue to look until you know him. And if you do know him, and maybe your eyes have strayed and wandered, I pray that today that they'll be, be fixed back upon him. And that any other tents that you've been trying to build in your life, that they would be let go and set aside. Catching a glimpse of Christ. I pray that's what happens here today throughout our lives. Let's have a song.